This is the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 9, Gardening Jobs and Plants of Interest for December. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, the podcast to help you get the very best out of your garden. I'm Richard Farrer. And I'm George Munford. Coming up. In this episode, our plant of the month for December is the Tibetan cherry or Prunus cerula. Perfect pairing, we've got two plants that complement each other, Hamamelis mollis and Sarcococa hookeriana variety digina. We've got jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden. And plants of note, we have Mahonia cross media winter sun and Cornus alba sibirica. We've also got three listeners' questions this month, one on how to protect clematis from frost, or clematis, how do you pronounce it, George? Clematis. Yeah, I say clematis, but I've heard a lot of people say clematis. However you pronounce it, clematis, from frost, uh, strawberries and snowdrops that appear to be flowering and fruiting in November, and do fertilisers have a shelf life? So, George, we're into December now, the closing stages of 2013. Yes. Getting a bit cold out there for you gardening? Well, it's still relatively mild, I think, Richard. We've not had a decent frost yet, and that's why a lot of the leaves are still on the trees in some cases. It's bizarre, isn't it, to have leaves on the trees so late in the year? Yeah, but I think a lot of that was to do with the late spring. In March this year, it was um, very, very cold, and... I don't think the leaves were coming out when they usually did, and I think a lot of leaves weren't coming out on the trees until April, so I would think that they're falling off a month later as well in some cases. We were about a month behind. I remember at the Chelsea Flower Show earlier in the year, they were having a real nightmare with the plants because everything they thought they could be putting in, they couldn't use because they were a month behind, so they had to suddenly change their planting schemes. Yes, yeah. Well, I think going back to the leaves, I think... um, As we record this today, it's a very uh, windy day. We're experiencing a bit of a winter storm, so a lot of the leaves that are left will come off today, I expect. We're not too bad, but Scotland, I think, has had it really bad, haven't they? Yeah, they've been absolutely battered, haven't they? Well, if you're in Scotland, I hope you haven't had too much trouble up there, and it should be passing soon. We're quite cold, I suppose, here. It's getting colder, it's getting windier, but not everybody is because we do have listeners from all around the world and some in the Southern Hemisphere. So as we're going into winter, you guys are going into summer, so I bet you're looking forward to that. We have listeners from the United States, United Kingdom, where we're based, Canada, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, Republic of Korea, France, among many others. So thank you, everyone, for listening, wherever you are. We do try to talk about plants specifically for the UK, but I guess the majority of the plants we've got in our gardens, George, they're not indigenous to the UK. We've imported them from all over the globe, haven't we? Yes, they've come from all over the globe. As you say, the original plants that a lot of them are cultivated from were collected hundreds of years ago and brought back on ships across the sea and cultivated from the original plants. That must have been an interesting time being a plant collector and coming across so many different species and varieties. Yes, and I would imagine also quite a dangerous job. 
wandering around the countryside, not knowing what you're going to come across as you search for new plants. Well, the terrain can be pretty inhospitable, but I suppose there's also diseases, and we didn't have the modern drugs that we've got nowadays. No, that's right. Not, no on-call doctors then, I suppose. No. So some of the plants we grow in our gardens were never meant to grow in our gardens. If we do talk about certain plants, you may, might find if you're not living in the UK, you can still grow the same plants. The key trick, I guess, always is try and mimic as closely as possible where the plant came from. If you can mimic the conditions, the plant found in the wild, then you've got a good chance of getting the thing to grow and survive, haven't you? That's right. So in that respect, you're you're thinking of how much sun the, the plant will get in the wild. Does it come from a sunny climate? What's the soil like in terms of drainage? How exposed is the site where it might come from? There's certain things we can do and there's certain things we can't to help things along. Soil, for example, we can change, can't we? If you've got clay soil, you can add grit to improve the drainage. Um, yeah. In the UK, if we've got tender plants that don't like frost, well, we tend to plant them out in the beginning of the uh, spring and let them die and we'll bring new seedlings on the next year, which is a bit of a faff, it's a bit of a pain, but it does give us beautiful gardens. Yes, it does, doesn't it? And if you look at a, a garden when it's in full bloom, I think it beats any picture that any artist could ever paint. Yes, not, not only that, it's in 3D, and if you've got the birds and bees buzzing around, you've got Dolby surround sound almost, haven't you? <laughs> Reality is the next best thing after 3D TV. Absolutely. Plant of the Month. Now, our plant of the month for December is the Tibetan cherry, Prunus cerula. Why have you chosen this one, George? I've chosen Prunus ceruta, the Tibetan cherry, because it has very uh, striking bark during the winter months when there's not a lot else to look at in the garden. So it's an ornamental tree that can grow to a height of about 12 metres and spread up to 10 metres. And the bark is a shiny, rich brown, uh, almost like a mahogany colour. The tree has white flowers in May and the foliage is dark green and, and willow-like, and it, the leaves turn yellow in autumn. If you grow it on a site with full sun or partial shade, you need moist, well-drained, loamy soil, and it makes an excellent focal point in the winter garden. Now, this is a tree we've talked about in the past that I think they've got in Anglesey Abbey in Cambridgeshire, where they've got a winter garden, which is a garden specifically designed to look its best in the winter months. Yes, I went last weekend, actually, on Saturday night, because they have a winter light display. Today? Oh, so, I missed that. That sounds fantastic. So we were able to walk through uh, Anglesey Abbey Gardens, all through the winter garden in the dark. Do they have mulled uh, wine and roast chestnuts as yes, well? Yes, it's all there, yeah, yeah. And all the gardens are lit up in different colours, so... You know, you'd have the famous birches there were lit up in with high power lights on them, and the, the light changes, the bulbs were changing colours. That must have looked stunning, George. It was absolutely. I think it sold out very quickly. What did your kids think of it? They thought it was fantastic. Yes, a winter wonderland. Yeah, well worth going to next year. Give me some warning on that one, George. Let me know if you go in. Love to come along. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good. And this tree, I think you mentioned that the head gardener at Anglesey Abbey, he polishes the bark of the uh, Tibetan cherry. No, I'm not so sure about that, Richard. He, he certainly keeps the bark of the, the birches clean. Oh, the birches? Yeah, the white birches. 
Uh, I think he pressure washes them, actually. Well, I think the year before last at the Chelsea Flower Show, Joe Swift, one of the BBC TV presenters for Gardener's World and the Chelsea Flower Show, he did his first Chelsea garden and he had the pruners cerula in the garden and he smeared olive oil and rubbed olive oil into the bark to make it really glisten and, and really make it zing and come out in the light. Right, I think the bark is shiny enough already. I, think, I don't know why I did that. I think uh, it is. It's Chelsea, George. That's a completely different world, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, maybe a bit of a false world, Richard. Oh, it is. Always is, but it's very pretty. Very good. I think pretty is an understatement, actually. <laughs> Need a different adjective. Perfect pairing. Now, perfect pairing are two plants that we usually choose to complement each other for a variety of reasons, maybe colour or stature, and this month, George, you've chosen fragrance or scent of the plants. The first one you've got is Hamamelis mollis, or a Chinese witch hazel. Yes, it's a a slow-growing, hardy shrub, and it has these lovely, um, to look at, they're very spidery flowers, so they look like... um, pom-poms with spidery tassels quite frilly aren't they yeah that's right and they're they're yellow in color and they're produced in january and february and december of course Uh, and they're they're fragrant and it's a shrub that you need to grow in full sun or partial shade in moist well-drained soil uh, ideally ericaceous soil because they're an acid uh, soil loving plant and they can grow up to four meters tall and the same in spread it's a good size then isn't it yeah, you'd need a good space over the long term to grow them in. You wouldn't want to put them in a space that uh, would be too small in the long term. But could you prune them to keep them... Yeah, you could prune them to keep them in check. But um, ideally, you would place them somewhere where they'd have enough space to grow in the long term. And the second plant to complement it? Yeah, this is another winter flowering shrub. Much smaller, though. A Sarcococa hookeriana variety Digina is uh, evergreen this time, and it um, it's the the sweet box. It's called is the common name. Is that anything similar to a, a common box, the the tree or shrub we use for hedging and a low hedging around borders? Well, I suppose it's similar in to, in in you could say it's um, sometimes used as a hedging plant. It's evergreen. I think it's it's called the sweet box because it does have some similarities to the normal box but i don't think they're related it can grow up to one and a half meters tall and and its spread is is more at two meters and in the winter it has these vanilla scented cream white um, tassel like flowers that last from this month december all the way through until march that's a good long flowering period for and particularly for winter isn't it absolutely yeah and any plant that can flower for more than two or three months is excellent isn't it it is, yeah. Certainly when winter and the dark days, you need a bit of flower and colour in the garden, don't you? You need colour in the garden, and of course it doesn't necessarily come from flowers, does it? it as no. I've mentioned before, it comes from... Uh, bark. Yeah, bark. Winter stems, yeah. The only problem in winter time, they might smell nice, but you're less likely to want to go out and sniff them, aren't you? That's right. You if it's a howling gale, you're going to want to stay inside, wrapped up nice and warm. Perhaps you can look out through the window and admire them, but you're going to miss out on the fragrance, I guess. Well, that's why you have to think carefully about where you plant these plants, because the ideal place to put these sort of shrubs 
is on a pathway from the house to as you leave it each day if you go out yeah. on a pathway outside the front door or something makes a lot of sense as you go past it maybe brush past it yeah you'll get a bit of a scent and yeah that yeah. could be quite nice on the dark morning on the way to work yeah that's right yeah that, so yeah try and choose somewhere where you um even if you're not spending a long time in the garden try and plant it somewhere where you're going to go past it each day lift your spirits on your way into work in the morning well, yeah, even in the winter, you still go out most days, don't you? Yeah, indeed. Indeed we do. Well, these two plants and the prunus cerula and other plants, you can always buy online if you want. If you go to our website for the show notes for this particular episode at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 9, we'll have links to these plants and others and other things we've talked about in this episode. Jobs to do in the garden. Now, jobs to do in the garden, George, there's probably not as much to do in December as other months in the garden, but there's still plenty to be getting on with, isn't there? Yeah, so this month, really, I've concentrated on jobs you can do to look after houseplants that you might have at this time of year. For example, how do you look after a poinsettia? That is the typically quintessential Christmas indoor plant, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Really, I'm thinking here about how you look after a poinsettia once Christmas is over, so you can sort of be thinking about this in the next month or so. The the colour of the they're, they're they're called bracts. They're modified leaves that you get the red, the lovely red colour yeah, from. Most people think they're flowers. They're not actually flowers at all, are they? No, they're flowers are tiny little things on the top. Yeah, the, the big the flowers red are leaves. Very, are... Yeah, they're very insignificant. The flowers on a poinsettia, but when the bracts begin to look tired, that's when you should let the compost of the poinsettia start to dry out. And then in early spring, you cut back the, the shoots of the poinsettia by about half. So, yeah, cut it quite hard back and soak the compost then at that point as well. For the rest of the year, you ensure that the poinsettia gets good but not bright direct sunlight. And you water it regularly, but letting the compost dry out between waterings. During the year also, you feed it fortnightly with a balanced liquid feed from late spring and all the way through the summer. And you keep it in a room temperature of about 16 degrees Celsius or 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, a balanced liquid feed, this is something we talked about in a previous episode, isn't it? The MPK, yeah, that's nitrogen, right. phosphorus, potassium, where there's equal quantities of each. Yeah, and people can find out more about that on the website if they go and have a look. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. Good. And you also have to miss the leaves regularly, remembering that this is a comes from an area of Mexico in the, on the woodland edges, the forest edges, where humidity is, is quite high. So it's good to, as we were talking about before, to mimic the natural growing conditions and miss the leaves regularly because it's a plant that grows naturally in an area with high humidity. But the most important bit, if you'd like to grow your poinsettia, the same poinsettia again next year, is you have to restrict the amount of daylight that it gets in the build-up to Christmas. You restrict it to 10 hours of light per 24 hours. So what you have to do is put it in a cupboard for 14 hours a day. Hibernate. Yeah, but of course most people will throw out the poinsettia at the end of Christmas and and not have a go at looking after it all year afterwards. It does seem to take um, a lot of looking after to get that flower display or the display of its bracts for one month a year. Yeah, and of course the commercial growers have got it off to a tee. They have indeed, haven't they? They also use dwarfing hormone chemicals, I think, to um, restrict the size of them. Really? Yeah, 
for pop culture in in the UK house. So yeah, it's an interesting subject. So if you're not careful and you don't keep feeding the hormones, these things could take over. That's right. So and be like a a poinsettia triffid in your living room. <laughs> Other jobs this month: look after your Christmas cactus. Again, don't water it too much. Uh, you don't need to prune them at all. A good thing to do in the summer is to put them out and leave them outside in the garden rather than leaving them in the house all year. If you put them in a sort of semi-shaded position on the patio or something, that's a good place to keep your Christmas cactus in the summer. Also this month, as there are not a lot of other jobs to do in the garden, you can clean garden furniture and maybe if it's wooden garden furniture, you might want to give it a new wood treatment of preservative. The same can be done on pergolas and trellises and archways that can all be painted with wood preservative. Any plants in the garden that aren't hardy, you can cover them with protective mulch of compost or horticultural fleece. If we get some snowfall, it's important that the snow doesn't sit on top of branches of the trees and shrubs because the weight of that snow could actually snap a branch. So try and shake it off if we do get some snow. Let your kids do that. I think they'd enjoy that, getting covered in snow, wouldn't they? That's right, yeah. There's also um, fruit tree pruning can be done during the winter months. That's when I do a lot of my fruit tree pruning in people's gardens. So there's an article on a website about pruning apple trees. Also, it's very important this month to switch off the water supply to outside taps and lag them, protect them from any frost damage. In the vegetable garden. In the vegetable garden, uh, you can plant out rhubarb crowns this month if the weather is okay and the the ground is not too frozen. And we can still be harvesting um, spinach in December, cauliflowers, the famous Brussels sprouts, leeks and kale. I love Brussels sprouts. Christmas isn't Christmas without Brussels sprouts. Apparently, one of the supermarkets in this country has developed a Brussels sprout that's not so strong in flavour to try and get the kids to eat it. Oh, I won't be choosing those. I like my sprout. I like strong sprouts. I do as well. Yeah, how can they take the flavour of out, out of a Brussels sprout? It's criminal, isn't it? Absolutely, ruin the Christmas dinner. Plants of note. Now, plants of note, George. What have you chosen for us this month? Obviously, plants that give us some interest in the garden during the winter months. The first one is a shrub called Mahonia cross media winter sun. It's an evergreen shrub and it has fragrant yellow flowers all the way from uh, November until March. The leaves are a bit like those of the holly. They're evergreen, dark green and they're spiky. It's a large shrub and it's particularly useful for a partly shaded site in moist but well-drained soil. It can grow quite big, up to five metres tall and four metres wide. An excellent plant for winter flowers and also some all-year-round evergreen interest. I'd never seen a mahonia before until about two or three years back. And walking around the village here, somebody had one in the front garden. And I think I spotted it on a December or January day and suddenly noticed how lovely it looked in the wintertime. 
with, like you say, lovely yellow flowers and the berries. And it's a nice architectural plant, isn't it, with the spiky holly-like leaves? Yeah, it's got a real sort of presence and structure about it. I think think it's a really underrated plant and something which really can give much-needed colour and shape in a bare garden at wintertime, but is also, like you say, evergreen and still gives that spiky leaves and shape through the rest of the, the season. I've always found mahonias to be incredibly resilient and trouble-free, never difficult to grow, and excellent for a, a site where you might struggle to grow anything else. Perhaps we should have had that one as planted a month for this month. <laughs> difficult to choose sometimes, isn't it? Oh yes, there's always a short list. And the next one you've got, George, is Cornus alba sibirica, winter dogwood, isn't it? Yeah, the classic shrub for winter stem effect, this one. It's a fast-growing, hardy shrub, and providing you prune it every year in March, it has young red stems, but you lose the colour as it ages. That's why you you prune them every year, because you keep the wood young. So the fresh, young wood is the wood that gives you the vivid colour of the stems. Yeah, that's right. And don't be afraid to cut it really hard back in March after the display of the bark over the winter months. I think novice gardeners sometimes perhaps are a bit reticent, a bit hesitant to cut back yeah, too hard. Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, if you cut back really hard, a plant wants to survive, doesn't it? It's going to have a good go at growing again. That's right. And as long as you can sort of, if you think you can see signs of life at the base of a plant, then that's a pretty good sign that it might be okay to prune it at the base. There are some plants like lavender that you, you could prune hard and kill. So I think you do have to know what you're doing. But the Cornus alba siberica, all the dogwoods, uh, that you grow for stem effect can be pruned really hard in March. They remind me of flames of fire coming up in the winter time. Yeah, in fact, it's funny you should say that because there is another one, another cornice that's called midwinter fire uh, that has orangey yellow stems and it looks just like a fire in the winter. Going back to this one, Cornus alba siberica, it, it has bright red stems during the winter months. And important to grow it in full sun to really appreciate those stems. During the rest of the year, it has dark green oval leaves. And in May and June, it has creamy white flowers. If you've got a bit of space in your garden, it's best to grow Cornus alba siberica in, in groups to emphasise the colour of the stems. Your questions. Now, listeners' questions. We've had three listeners' questions this month, George. The first one we've had from Faith Perry, and she asks, I cover my clematis when frost is forecast. Can I just leave it covered even though the weather improves? Also, does it need a double thickness of fleece, or will a single one be sufficient? It is beautiful, but hard work when I have to go out and cover it every night. Okay, Richard. Um, I'm assuming that Faith covers her clematis because she knows that it's not a hardy variety. Now, there, there are about um, 200 different species of clematis and a further 400 different cultivars. I think most of them are hardy. They come from areas of the world where they grow in harsh, cold conditions, a lot of them. So it's quite hard for me to answer this question if I don't know which clematis it is. But all I would say is if it's not a hardy clematis, if it's one that maybe can only withstand temperatures down to minus five in the UK, for example, then, yeah, by all means, cover it at night. I would think it's not necessary to have a double layer of fleece over the top of it. Just a single layer would be fine. 
but generally most clematis should not need covering at all because they come from climates that get cold at I night. Gu- I guess it also depends perhaps where Faith lives in the UK. If Faith is in the south coast or somewhere with a sort of maritime climate, it might not get quite so cold. But if you're right at the top of Scotland, it's going to get a bit colder up there, isn't it? Yes, of course. But even the, the, the hardy clematis will cope with temperatures down to minus 20 quite happily. Uh, without having uh, being damaged at all. So it doesn't really matter where you live in the country. It all depends which clematis that you're actually growing. Right. OK, well, I hope that answers your question, Faith. Sorry we can't be specific, but I guess without knowing the exact variety, it's a, a little bit awkward. So the second question we've got, George, came from Isabella Russell, and I know they live in the Isle of Wight. I actually listened to a podcast done by Isabella and her husband called Music Radio Creative. They produced jingles for radio stations. And on her podcast, I think Isabella mentions he enjoyed gardening. I left a comment on their website and we ended up having a little conversation on Twitter where Isabella said her strawberries were producing fruit in November and her snowdrops were coming up in November. Uh, she thought that's a little bit odd. Yes, it sounds like some confused strawberries and even more confused snowdrops. All I can think of with this one, Richard, is that there must be some sort of microclimate in Isabella's garden, a sun trap maybe. Well, Um, the Isle of Wight does have a microclimate. A, it's most southerly part pretty much of the UK, off off the south coast of Southampton. But it's also completely surrounded by the sea, and there's the Gulf Stream which comes through. The Gulf Stream will have moderating effect. So in the depths of winter, it will never get too cold. And in the height of summer, you'll have the uh, the sea breezes. So it gives a more even temperate sort of climate. Yes, yeah. And it may be, it might be, there might be other factors like maybe the strawberries and the snowdrops are growing at the base of a wall where that soaks up, a south-facing wall that soaks up the sun. I think there's something there that's causing the strawberries and the snowdrops to ripen and flower at a time of the year when they they certainly wouldn't in other parts of the country. Also, like we talked earlier, this season has been kind of a month out of kilter with normal seasons. We're a month behind. And it's been quite a mild autumn, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So maybe the strawberries are ripening late, but that doesn't explain why the snowdrops are flowering early. Now, when we talked about this question once before, um, when we were in the garden here, you mentioned that the snowdrops, it may be something to do with the depth of planting of the snowdrops. Yeah, I think if they're popping up and flowering early, that that to me suggests that maybe they weren't planted deep enough because if they're protruding from the soil and flowering so early, maybe that suggests that their journey up through the soil is has been rather quick and it might suggest to me that they weren't deep enough in the soil. Well, there we go, Isabella. I hope that answers your questions. Having strawberries in November, I think most people would be jealous of that. Fresh strawberries from your garden in November, I think it's fantastic. Yes, and maybe there's a business opportunity there for you, Isabella. If if you can produce strawberries in your garden in November, you might have the big supermarkets chasing you. (laughs) Wouldn't that be interesting? You'll need a bigger garden, I suspect. (laughs) And finally, we have a question from David Bradbury, who asks, do garden fertilisers, bone meal, blood and bone, etc., have a shelf life? I don't think they would have a shelf life. I would certainly use them within a reasonable period of time. 
maybe when you buy the box of fertilizer you use it aim to use it within a couple of years i would think its nutritional value would decrease over time but it would be a long process if you've got something which is in suspension in a liquid i think the only problem you've got there really is particles might separate to the bottom so if you're going to use it and it's been left for a while give it a good shake but if you've got a dry powder and it's in an outside shed or something it might attract moisture and clump now that could change things if you have something like bone meal or a dry powder fertilizer you want to keep and want to use for future years if you can store it in perhaps an old ice cream container something which is going to be airtight uh, and watertight not allow moisture in then I think they'll keep for an awful long time. It's a chemical at the end of the day. And providing you're not adding anything to it, such as moisture or huge amounts of air, oxidisation, you should be fine. But I would tend to try and keep them in a dry, airtight container to be on the safe side. I think that's good advice, Richard. Yeah, don't expose them to the elements. I'm kind of relying on my A-level chemistry here. That was a long time ago, though. Yeah, it's not really a gardening question, is it? It's a, a science and chemistry question. Well, yeah. We had a question a, a month or so back about the dietary habit of squirrels, didn't we? That's right. Yeah, we've we done. Get... Yeah, uh, yeah, we've done food nutrition, haven't we? And biology, all sorts. Well, we shall do our best to answer questions. So, if anyone else has a question, please do send them in. You can uh, email us via the email address is podcast at plantadvice.co.uk we'd love to hear from you and uh, and test our knowledge not just of plants but chemistry and dietary habit of small furry animals yes we we can have a go at anything can't we we'll give it a shot won't we yeah i can't really sort of guarantee the quality of the um the answers but good quality if they're about gardening and plants which is what the podcast is about really i guess (laughs) not too much to expect Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. It's the end of the year, December. Uh, I don't know what people have got planned. I hope you all have a wonderful festive season. I know not everybody celebrates Christmas. We do here in the UK, but other parts of the world, other faiths may be celebrating something else. But I hope you all have a really wonderful time. We'll be back again in the new year, January, won't we, George? Yep, we'll see you in 2014. Yeah, 2014. It'll be interesting to see what the new season brings, new plants, and then we start the mad season with the shows like Chelsea, Hampton Court. I'm looking forward to those. It's, It's a bit busy, though, but I do really enjoy that. Absolutely. Another year to look forward to, Richard. Yeah, another year indeed. They fly by, don't they? Ah, spookily fast, yes. Tempest fugit, as they say. So... Any questions, please do let us know via our email address, podcast at plantadvice.co.uk. We've got show notes for this episode on our website, which is plantadvice.co.uk slash episode nine, where we'll have links to all the plants we talk about and some other useful resources for you. You can follow us online if you want on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. We've got links on our website. And I think that's about all from us for this episode. Thanks ever so much for listening, and we hope you listen again next month. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful Christmas, and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. This podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.